Welcome to Identity Governance Insights, sponsored by SailPoint Technologies. Now here's your host, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Kevin Cunningham, Chief Strategy Officer and Founder, SailPoint. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. I think the listeners may want to know what SailPoint's all about. Maybe give us a quick nutshell description of what SailPoint does. Yeah, we're in the business of what's called identity governance. And really, fundamentally, what that's about is providing visibility and control over who has access to what. And on the surface, I know that sounds like a pretty simple problem to solve, but if you're talking about an organization with hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of employees and, and hundreds or thousands of applications, it's very easy to lose track of who has access to what and whether that's appropriate for their current relationship and role within the organization. So people change jobs, people come, people go, and, and keeping track of who has access to what is critical in providing a foundation of security for organizations. Well, identity governance, Washington, D.C., the federal government, this is the sweet spot for you because every agency has that challenge, don't they? I'd say every organization, both commercial and, and public sector, has this problem at some level. Uh, it's rare do I go into an organization with more than a couple of thousand people that doesn't express some need for identity governance. This has been a historic problem across our industry from a high-tech perspective in terms of adoption of new technologies on a continuous basis, and therefore new, new expansion of the identity realm continues to happen, and it's really easy for people to lose sight of, of who has that access, those access privileges. Well, the Pentagon's just across the river, so I'm going to use some military language here for you. Some will argue that the perimeter has been breached, <laughs> and it's the perimeter, of course, is in the identity area. In fact, three-fifths of commercial organizations expect to be breached. So how does identity management protect data in these breaches? Well, first I should say that five out of five should expect to be really? breached. Absolutely. You either should expect to be breached or already have been breached, right? That is the only rational position to take in today's cyber criminal environment. So the other thing to think about is the perimeter itself. Because the perimeter is not what it used to be. It used to be we set up firewalls and, and networks that would protect our organizations. Nowadays, with people using smart devices to access assets and applications that are in the cloud, that perimeter is really dissipated. So the perimeter, the physical perimeter that used to exist for most many organizations no longer exists. So the role that identity plays in that is that if you think about the linkage between these various assets, so I'm I'm a, an employee, I'm a contractor, I'm a business partner, and I'm accessing a SaaS application from my smartphone, I'm completely off the corporate network. Right? The only thing that connects my access to that application, which may contain sensitive information, and my device is the identity. So unless you've got a good handle on managing and, and the visibility of that identity, you really don't have control of your environment anymore. You know, there are phishing scams out there, and we know of them, where they can uh, appropriate someone's identity credentials. And so your identity may be compromised, you may not even know it. And so what happens when your identity is compromised? Does your solution assist in that situation? No, absolutely, John. And, and to your point, the, the cyber criminals of the world know that people are actually the weakest link hmm. in the security chain. Uh, why is that? One, people tend to be trusting. That's why we're so susceptible to phishing and spear phishing and malware attacks. Right? We want to trust the things that come our way. I get an email from a friend I recognize. My inclination is to click on the link he sent me. Maybe it's something interesting. I shouldn't do that until I verify that it is actually from my friend. So the cyber criminals of the world, and we're talking about very sophisticated cyber criminals. We're talking about foreign governments. We're talking about organized crime. We're talking about terror cells uh, are very, very clever in terms of how they try to compromise individuals. And oftentimes it is done through the compromise of a legitimate identity, legitimate password credential. Because the other thing about humans is we're also a little lazy. Right? So we tend not to go through a lot of trouble to 
uh, create very uh, high-level security passwords. You know, password one two three is I think is one of the most common passwords in use today. Um, so the bad guys know that they can compromise people, and they use that as a leverage point to get inside the organization. And from there, they move around. And sometimes they move from organization to organization. So a lot of the breaches we hear about in headlines today actually started out with a breach of a of a vendor or a partner uh, organization that ultimately found their way into the into the target group. The other thing that, to point out is once uh, once a bad guy gets inside or bad guys get inside an organization, they spend a lot of time looking around for sensitive information that they can steal. As a matter of fact, the average time from detection of, of breach to backing up until when the breach actually began is about 200 days. That's 200 days that somebody has been creeping around inside an organization looking for good information to abscond with. In other words, if I steal your identity, I'm not going to broadcast it. <laughs> I'm going to tool around the network and see what's going on. It's only when a system can identify unusual activities. Like, Wait, what's Kevin doing this? He's normally home on Thanksgiving. What's going on here? So that's how your system seems to work, how behavior. That's right. There's definitely a behavior component to this, and that's, which is the next frontier for identity governance. So once you understand who has access to what from a static perspective and whether it's appropriate given their relationship with the organization. The next next level of sophistication is understanding what they're doing with that access. So understanding behavioral patterns. So identity analytics is all about understanding norms and, and things that are abnormal. So much like when I travel abroad and I use my credit card for the first time, I typically get a text message or an email from my credit card company saying, hey, is this really you? We want to verify because this is behavior that's not part of your normal routine. You're, you're in a different country now spending using your credit card. Um, so much like that, identity analytics takes a look at things that are abnormal. So through peer group analysis, for example, I've got a set of people in a similar department with a similar job function. They all have very similar access, except maybe one person has access to some strange systems. I should take a look at that because that's abnormal. Likewise, behavior. Sometimes it's not invalid access that, that would indicate a problem, but it's the unusual usage of that access. There's, there was a well-publicized case of a manufacturing company who had a lot of patents as part of their portfolio. And one of the scientists who was responsible for developing all those patents decided to leave the company. And he thought he had put so much work into those patents, he deserved to take them with him. So he actually had legitimate access to the IP database. But if anyone had been watching what he was doing that access, he was downloading literally terabytes of data before he left the organization. So oftentimes it's not the static information that needs to be watched, but also what people are doing with their access privileges. And and they can change over time. I think we've learned that. It's just because someone is fine up until a certain point in time, there could be situations that can uh, cause his behavior to change, but his status is still the same. Absolutely. And, and I think the, the movement of people within organizations sometimes represents the biggest challenge. Because oftentimes, you know, if I take a new role within an organization, uh, oftentimes I have to maintain my old privileges for some period of time for a job transition. And when do you shut that off? I mean, one of the most famously publicized cases was uh, Societe Generale, who had the rogue trader. You recall that about 10 years ago. Uh, turns out, you know, he lost the bank about $10 billion. And the reason he was able to get away with that was he changed jobs within the bank. So he had a what they call a middle office administrative job, which gave him certain privileged access to, to certain databases and applications, he changed job, became a trader. Nobody thought to turn off his old access. So he was able to cover his tracks for a long time by maintaining two sets of credentials. We're going to have to pause here for a short break. My guest today is Kevin Cunningham, Chief Strategy Officer and Founder, FailPoint. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Federal Identity Governance, sponsored by SailPoint on 
Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Go beyond the PIV card and secure your agency with identity governance. Security doesn't stop at the front door. You need governance over who has access to systems and data in your agency. SailPoint Technologies, the leader in enterprise identity governance, invites security professionals to ID.gov on January 25th in Washington, D.C. Learn how government officials solve their security challenges by using the power of identity. Learn how you can attend. Visit info.sailpoint.com gov. That's info.sailpoint.com gov. Welcome back to the discussion, Federal Identity Governance, sponsored by SailPoint on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Kevin Cunningham, Chief Strategy Officer and Founder, SailPoint. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. Now, churn is everywhere here in federal government. Every four years, it's the famous churn, but many of my listeners have churn every year, so it's hard to, to, to keep up with what's going on, especially when you have people coming and going all the time. How does this impact password management for new employees? Well, it actually has a, a major impact. So uh, federal government is not the only one subject to th this churn. Uh, university systems sub are subject to this churn every year. But even, you know, think about retail operations, right, where they have holiday seasonal hiring. Uh, so it's a big issue both from an onboarding perspective. How do you get these people onboarded effectively and quickly with access to what they need to, to be productive, um, but also how do you manage them over time? Because a lot of times people will rejoin a workforce, forget their old ID, forget their old password. So where this comes into play is actually providing a facilitation of self-service. So I uh, part of our solution would be to provide self-service portals where individuals can go in and change their own passwords or reset their own passwords. So hmm. whether if I forgot my password or as a matter of security policy, I need to reset it every 90 days, I can actually alleviate the help desk of having to do that, intercede and do that by allowing people, giving them the flexibility to do it themselves. I was just thinking of you, you're traveling in Asia, it's uh, in the middle of the night and you're trying to change something. I mean, a human being can't be expected to manage identity for people traveling and remote workers as well. So this has got to be, the churn is, is within the organization as well, besides new employees. It's not just employees, right? Because think about partner communities. Uh, new partners are signing on all the time. Uh, partners are leaving uh, relationships, et cetera. So it's, it, the churn extends beyond employees, extends to contractors, expands, expands to the business partners as well. You know, uh, a popular movement here in town is moving everything to the cloud. You got to go to the cloud. And what we see agencies doing, they, they maybe resist or want certain aspects of that going to the cloud. So they come up with something called the hybrid cloud. Right. So you get situations that it gets, it's very, very difficult. So does your solution impact anything to do with the hybrid cloud? Absolutely. So hybrid IT environments, which means basically you have assets and, and infrastructure that some of which is on-prem, but some of which is in the cloud. Uh, that's typically what we refer to as a hybrid IT environment. Uh, it's, it's pretty much the norm across all industries today. Uh, people are adopting new SaaS applications. They're moving workloads to uh, Amazon Web Services or Azure, uh, but they still maintain a set of legacy uh, assets that they sort of manage and maintain. And doing the new cloud-based uh, applications and assets in context with the legacy is really important in providing that 360-degree view of what an individual has access to because sometimes it's the combination of access that represents a problem for organizations. And that, that, that combination of access is going to span cloud and on-prem environments. So managing the, the hybrid IT environment is, is very much part of our strategy. So the cloud may reduce cost, 
but increased complexity increase the strains on identity management. So you get a maybe cost reduction and ability to scale easily. But what good is that if you can't manage the identity? Exactly, and I think that's you know that's been traditional in terms of adoption of new technologies. Uh, every time new technologies are adopted, whether it be wireless networks or uh, smartphones, smart devices, uh, cloud applications. Every time we expand the universe of IT, we expand the domain of the identity governance problem. There's a term that I hear bantered about in town here. It's called shadow IT. In other words, someone's working for a company and they get uh, all sick and tired of John delaying. They get a credit card and they start some system going. And uh, the federal government can do something like that too. So, so what does your solution provide as far as the shadow IT or this road IT go? Right. So it's, it's really difficult to, to shut that down. In fact, I would argue you probably don't want to shut that down. It's actually a healthy thing. People adopt new technologies because it helps them be more productive. It gives them some competitive advantage. There's a reason they're doing this. And, they, and they're, in general, again, back to people's nature, we're pretty impatient, right? So we see the new shiny object. We want to adopt it as quickly as possible. And we're not necessarily concerned about the security implications of that or the management implications of that. We just want the shiny new object. So what happens is you see these technology ad- adoptions and then followed by the, the filling in behind that with things like identity governance. So rogue IT is really, in a nutshell, what people are doing to provide uh, self-service adoption of new technologies. It's up to the organization to follow that with the appropriate measure of governance and administration and management security to make sure that they're not putting the organization at undue risk. I have a friend named Dennis. He worked for the IRS for several years. Then he transitioned to transportation. Now, the question I had for him is, do you take your rights and privileges with you? Or what, new ones are assigned. How does that happen within agencies? So that that's a very good use case around what we call the mover. So typically around identity management, you've got joiners, new people coming on board who need access to new things. You've got movers. People are actually changing from one role to the other. And you've got leavers. People are either leaving voluntarily or involuntarily. And the mover use cases is typically the most complex in terms of how do you manage the dual access that's sometimes required to be overlapped uh, so that I can finish out my old job even while I'm starting my new job. Um, but if you don't have visibility into those transitions and control those transitions, it's very easy for people to accumulate access like badges of honor. So if you <laughs> talked about you know, some people who've been system administrators for many, many years, they have access to almost everything. Is, is that a smart thing from a risk management perspective? Probably not. So identity governments would come in and say, I understand what you need access to for uh, and two to do your current job not what you used to do what your current job is and map that appropriately well kevin we're gonna have to uh, pause here for a short break my guest today is kevin cunningham chief strategy officer and founder sailpoint i'm your moderator john gilroy on the discussion federal identity governance sponsored by sailpoint on federal news radio 1500 a.m and federalnewsradio.com Go beyond the PIV card and secure your agency with identity governance. Security doesn't stop at the front door. You need governance over who has access to systems and data in your agency. SailPoint Technologies, the leader in enterprise identity governance, invites security professionals to ID.gov on January 25th in Washington, D.C. Learn how government officials solve their security challenges by using the power of identity. Learn how you can attend. Visit info.sailpoint.com gov. That's info.sailpoint.com gov. Welcome back to the discussion, Federal Identity Governance, sponsored by SailPoint on 
Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Kevin Cunningham, Chief Strategy Officer and Founder of SailPoint. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. You know, when you uh, go to buy a car, you just have to fill out this piece of paper and they give you some kind of information on your credit score. <laughs> right. And I imagine that there's ways to look at someone's identity and try to figure out if there's a, a risk or a risk score involved in that. Now, does your company do something with risk score, doesn't it? Very much so. So much like my credit score is based on a number of aspects of my spending and, and borrowing history. So my, my current loan balances, uh, what my payment history has been, whether I'm a, a good risk or not, uh, all add up to a credit score that we're all familiar with. Likewise, an individual could have a risk score. That's something that's calculated by our system. And you can include, there's a, there's a set of factors that, that go into that in terms of what do you have access to? When was the last time someone reviewed that access? Um, are you a habitual policy violator? Uh, have you gone through your security training? And this is an extensible model. So you can add any number of attributes to that. And at the end of the day, you end up with a risk score per individual. What that allows organizations to do is segment their populations not just by geography or function or department, but truly by the potential risk they represent if their identity was compromised. So what you want to do ideally is wrap tight controls around the people that represent the most risk to the organization, and you can lessen the controls to people who uh, represent very little risk. So not only do you improve your security posture, but you actually gain a lot of efficiencies by not worrying so much about people who at the end of the day don't represent a whole lot of risk to you. And it goes back to humans managing all this information. I mean, there's too many people coming and going to manage all this. If there's some kind of a profile or some kind of a, uh, an actuarial table you have for risk, it makes it a lot easier to assign levels of uh, permission. It is a lot about scale. Um, it, there becomes a, a point in time when you get more than a couple thousand identities you're trying to manage and more than a handful of applications, and it truly becomes unmanageable to do on a manual basis. I had a, a fellow from Cloudera call me and talk to me the other day, and I t I'm thinking about Hadoop and big data, all this data coming in and managing that. I have another friend who uh, r runs a Microsoft company, partner, and he deals with hybrid SharePoint. Everyone's sharing everything. There's right. so much data out there. It's it's not a garden hose. It's a fire hose. It's almost a tsunami. <laughs> it's a how do you structure it all and how do you give access to what? There's just so much information coming in now from IoT, from satellites, from just walking around. How do you structure? How do you give access to what? That's a great question, John. And, and in fact, the proliferation of data, especially in the form of what we call unstructured data, that's data that lives outside of applications and databases, is, is happening at an amazing rate. In fact, it's estimated that up to 90% of an organization's data is now in this unstructured format. Uh, why is that to your point? We like to share information. You know, It helps us be more productive. It helps us collaborate more with other people. And so we tend to share a lot of information on a regular basis. Uh, the, the challenge and problem associated with that is a lot of times this information is sensitive. It's information that's been pulled out of a database or pulled out of an application not in a malicious manner, but in the name of productivity and collaboration, I want to put, share a file with you, John, so I'll put it up on Dropbox. Uh, there it is, John, go have at it, right? The problem is nobody knows what's really out there anymore because it has proliferated so, so quickly. Nobody knows whether it contains sensitive information or not. Nobody knows who has access to it or by what means they're getting that access, and nobody knows who owns it. So next major step, once you have your kind of core identity uh, environment under control in terms of who has access to what applications and databases is to attack this unstructured problem. I've yet to talk to a CIO or a CISO who doesn't readily acknowledge that this is a big issue for them, that they not quite sure what to do with it right now, but they know it's out there. They know it's a, a, a pending risk for them. 
I go to a lot of trade shows. If I go to a cybersecurity trade show, they talk about analytics. If I go to a data center trade show, they talk about analytics. I imagine there's analytics involved in identity as well. So you must be in a position where we can look at trends and, and look at certain profiles where risks are more apparent than they may not be to other people. Absolutely. So we're introducing actually this month a new product called Identity AI, which hmm. is all about identity analytics. And the, the core value proposition there for customers is it helps them identify anomalies, right? Strangeness in, in behaviors or strangeness in patterns of access. So through machine learning and peer group analysis, we can actually determine what looks right and what looks odd. So a lot of security today is about finding the needle in the haystack. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of data, as you pointed out, you know, a lot of people involved in the system. A lot of it is perfectly harmless. It doesn't represent any risk to, to an organization at all. So it's really about finding and pinpointing that anomalous condition or behavior that would indicate that something is is awry, something that needs to be taken a harder look at. It's almost out of the range of a human to do. How much, And how can a human do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week when there are people traveling and remote workers? You, you have to automate somehow. You can't do it. And this is why the, the core of that solution is based on machine learning, artificial intelligence, because there's a lot of data to crunch through and you, you couldn't get through it manually. So it is the new frontier for identity management to automate a lot of that and help people really pinpoint risk. And as I said before, the, the flip side of that is to help them automate those things that don't represent risk. So the flip side of understanding where that needle is, is understanding where the, where the hay is and automate those things that have previously been more manual in nature. I was talking to a friend of mine named Claude. He talked about an app and I should try this and try that. Well, many times productivity can be increased and improved with new technology. But the problem is the federal government just can't you know, just try a new app. You have to do with an environment of security. I think identity management can help with adopting new technology, can it? Absolutely. So basically, the more we get our IT groups and security groups involved in the process of that application adoption, it can be done in a secure fashion, right? Because maybe there's some applications that should be on the no-fly list. Uh, they represent, they don't have enough internal security to make an organization feel comfortable, and that has to be vetted before that application is adopted. It's up to the IT groups, though, the IT operations groups, to make sure they do that in a way that's responsive to the business, right? We can't talk about, you know, weeks and months of delay before that, that, that vetting is done. So we have to be responsive as a community to our business users to make sure we're not holding them up. But at the same time, the business community has to represent, has to recognize that they have a responsibility to make sure they're engaging with their security and IT uh, brethren uh, to make sure that they're not doing something that's going to create risk in the environment. And if you're with an organization like FEMA, and let's say the situation arises where maybe your privileges might have to dynamically increase or scale up and down, uh, doing that manually would, would uh, you'd show up too late for the event. Absolutely. <laughs> and so automating privilege escalation has got to be done in by using artificial intelligence. I would think, how else can you do it? No, you can't. You can't just can't do it manually. There's a lot of inefficiencies that, that just come along with the manual processes. And there's a lot of errors that come along with manual processes as well. We're not, we're not perfect human beings, so we, we make mistakes. And we give people the wrong access or we don't get them access to what they need to be productive. So really it's through automation is a key to modern day identity management. I went to your Twitter uh, feed and I saw hashtag RBAC. <laughs> Back years ago, remember <laughs> taking the test. Role-based access control. Right. right. This is role-based access control on steroids <laughs> it is. or applied with artificial intelligence. It is, but I think with, with a more pragmatic approach. So I think one of the challenges with role-based access control historically has been it's been a kind of a boil the ocean type project, right, where you're trying to assign a unique role for every type of function in an organization. And you can get kind of mired down in that because in this in today's you know fluid environments, you need to have a lot of flexibility. So you have to have a flexible role model to accommodate that. 
I'd like to thank today's guest, Kevin Cunningham, Chief Strategy Officer and Founder of SailPoint. I'm John Gilroy on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Identity Governance.